and welcome henchmen to another action-packed episode of the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu, brought to you by the Villains Man, where myself, a JVD, attempts to traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artists in Iron Fist and Shang-Chi. If you want to check out everything with the podcast, you can check Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu over on Twitter at Deadly Kung Fu Pod, or if you want to talk to me about anything, comics, wrestling, Green Bay Packers, you can check me out, JVD, over on Twitter at Villains Demand. On this episode, we're covering Master of Kung Fu 29 through 31. We've got a pretty massive creative team. The covers are done by Gil Kane, Al Milgram, and Dan Atkins. The writer, as always, is Doug Monick. Pencils by Paul Galassi. He also helped on inks alongside Dan Atkins. Colors by Janice Cohen. Letters by Tom Orzachowski. Artie Smick and Karen Mantelo, and your editors are Roy Thomas and Lynn Wayne. This is a pretty different story than what we're used to in between Master of Kung Fu and Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. It's a drastic turn uh, for one thing. Um, it's not bad. I enjoyed it. It's quite different than what we've got. And, uh, and I don't want to sit in here and waste a bunch of time because, you know, Try to keep these within 30 minutes. So we're going to go ahead and start with issue 29, The Crystal Connection. Shang-Chi is summoned to Sir Dennis Nayland Smith's townhouse, where he asks our young hero to help him in his newest mission. Informing Shang-Chi that his aid will help save countless lives, Smith hands him a dossier with a photo of Carlton Velcro, one of the world's largest heroin dealers. The current plan is for Clive Reston to meet Velcro undercover as a big-time British buyer, and destroy the supply from within the compound. The issue is Smith knows he will not make it out alive, and that is why he has asked Shang-Chi to accompany them so they can rescue their ally. Conflicted, Shang-Chi asks why the authorities are not involved, to which Petrie replies that Velcro is untouchable to the police and that takes those like themselves to cut through the red tape. Smith admits he knows asking Shang-Chi to do this is hard because it goes against his pacifist beliefs and that taking down Velcro needs direct action that will get their hands dirty. Still seeing the conflict within Shang-Chi, Smith takes him to a rehabilitation clinic to show him what heroin does to its users. Seeing what the addicts are going through is enough for Shang-Chi to accept the mission. With the mission underway, Rustin goes undercover as Mr. Blue... Reservoir Dogs, anybody? And meets Carlton Velcro in his fortress estate in southern France. Though he welcomes the agent, Velcro admits he isn't very trusting of those he meets in his business and introduces Reston to Razor Fist. After a threatening display of promised violence, Reston is escorted to his room, which is to be heavily guarded. Not wasting any time, Reston breaks out knowing that Shang-Chi and Black Jack Tar should be infiltrating the island as Smith and Petrie wait for them on a nearby seaplane for escape. As Reston finds the heroin and begins to destroy it, his two allies find themselves under fire and fighting off the guards outside the fortress compound. Let's move on to issue 30, titled A Gulf of Lions. Splitting up, Shang-Chi finds himself face-to-face with Razor Fist as Black Jack Tar locates Reston inside, who has been captured by Velcro while destroying the heroin. After a brief rescue, they both find themselves trapped and captured by the guards. Meanwhile, Petrie and Smith argue if their agents have failed due to being 18 minutes late to the rendezvous point. Not wanting to give up on his loyalty to his men, he convinces Petrie to stay, but formulates a backup plan. Smith calls in for as much high explosive as possible to be brought to his location. 
Meanwhile, Shang-Chi manages to defeat Razorfish just in time to save Black Jack and Reston, deceiving Velcro and his men that there is a bomb in his hand. The trio think of an escape, but Velcro has the upper hand as he activates a bit bridge trap that drops them into a panther-filled tunnels that run underneath the compound. As they manage to escape the hunger animals, they fall for another trap, which sends them to the lowest chambers of Velcro's compound, where they discover he has been storing nuclear weapons. So let's move on to the very James Bond-like title called Snowbuster in issue 31. Wanting to escape and report to Smith about the truth behind Velcro's heroin dealings, the trio begin taking out guards. Meanwhile, Furious Velcro sends a woman named Havane to capture them. Back at the weapon storage, Dresden comes up with a plan to steal a tank and rampage through the compound while escaping. Who would thought the guy that deals with heroin would keep tanks? It's kind of weird. He's Maybe he's making his own army. But anyways, not giving up on his newfound personal morals. Not giving up on his newfound personal morals. Shang-Chi leaves the safety of the vehicle to free Razor Fist so he has a chance to escape and save himself if the nuclear weapons happen to go off. His search is interrupted by the overconfident Pavane. Realizing he cannot waste time, Shang-Chi plays on her ego and deceives her, quickly taking her out. To his surprise, Razor Fist has found Shang-Chi at the very same time Velcro and his guards have. Not caring for the loyalty of his assassin, Velcro has his guards open fire killing Razor Fist as Shang-Chi manages to dodge out of the way. Behind the guards comes Black Jack, Tar, and Rustin in the tank, shooting them down as Velcro flees. Taking advantage of his ally's appearance, Shang-Chi moves the unconscious Pavane to safety before taking cover inside the tank once again. As they drive the vehicle into the water, guards attack the trio from the beach as the boats chase them to no avail. Back in the compound, we see Velcro aboard a submarine with hopes to escape the agents. The our heroic trio exit and swims to the rendezvous point where Smith and Petrie have the ordered explosives waiting on a remote-controlled pilot boat. Taking matters into his own hands, Shang-Chi drives the boat into the beach and launches it into the compound, causing it to explode where none of the guards who watch from the beach can be harmed. As Shang-Chi is picked up by the helicopter, he reflects on his decision to leave his passiveness for a direct approach to fighting evil. Upon thinking about the addicts and those he can save from such a torment, he knows he has made the right choice, but the path on doing so leaves him with much to be desired. So we're going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to play one of our sponsors. And when I get back, I'm going to break into the pros, the cons, and the overall thoughts on this story known as The Crystal Connection. Man, welcome back to the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu, brought to you by the Villains of Man and myself, JVD. So let's dive into these three issues for Masters of Kung Fu. Uh, the big important thing about these story arc is that this is the first time Fu Manchu nor his henchmen are like the main bad guys of the story arc. You know, they're not behind anything, they have no dealings with anything that we're aware of. But all three of these issues, Fu Manchu is not even in the picture. But what we've learned about Fu Manchu, that does not mean that he is not aware of what's going on, nor, I mean, he may just be watching. He's probably got some drones somewhere, some satellites. Fu Manchu, we learned that he has eyes on Shang-Chi at all times. So uh, that, and that that's just the big difference of this story compared to everything else. And 
It's it's a bit refreshing that we got to get a break from Fu Manchu. Now, um, by what I've talked about in this story, this could easily be a James Bond film, which were popular, which were like huge at the time. They're very popular uh, alongside martial arts movies. And um, you have this villain in Carlton Velcro looking to take over the world. Very James Bond. He even looks the part, but he wears a short cape. He's got like a full collar with it that's kind of popped up. Uh, not only does he run this major heroin ring, he uses it to gain profit to fund his plan for world conquest by purchasing uh, WMDs, you know, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, on top of it, he has his personal mansion that doubles as a fortress with, you know, a private army, two highly trained assassins, and this deadly animals gimmick with all these panthers he keeps underfed, so they're ravenous against intruders. So it's, it's very James Bond-like. It's very different from all the martial arts action, you know, father versus son conflict or daughter here recently that we've gotten masters. Um, so uh, even one of the assassins, uh, Pavane, is basically the ideal, beautiful but deadly enemy agent for the hero that they could, you know, potentially fall for. And uh, we're all left to assume that Velcro is dead as we see his compound collapse on the submarine before it's submerged. So, you know, you have that cliffhanger. Is he actually dead? So, very James Bond-like in story. And at first, you know, I was like, man, I, I kind of don't like this. I really liked what they had going on in the Masters series with uh, Fu Manchu, who I think is an awesome villain. Um even though he's very racial, stereotypical, you know, for the times. But, um, and the more I thought about this and I was writing my notes, it's like, I really do kind of like this story. Now, uh, here's the interesting thing. Speaking of James Bond-like story, uh, as I read the story, there's something I noticed that was very interesting. So, uh, I really like Clive Riston since he has stepped on with his first uh, Shang-Chi and Giant Size number 3 for Master of Kung Fu. And uh, he keeps referring to everything being smashing or elementary. And then uh, when combing through the story and taking notes, it hits me when he submits to Black Jack Tar in a game of chess. He states, and this is from the book, he says, As my father was wont to be, say, live and let die, or die the as the case may be. So, this means that his father has to be James Bond. And uh, his great-uncle, or maybe his great-grandfather, is Sherlock Holmes. So, and it makes so much sense. And so, uh, I had, when, when I realized this, I had to stop taking notes. I had to go look this up. Um, and sadly, Marvel didn't own the rights to either one of the characters at, this, at the time. Go figure. Uh, you know. But, um, this is why the reigns were never mentioned. So they couldn't be struck with the copyright and everything. But, uh, I do love this lineage. I think it makes so much sense why Rustin is, uh, obsessed with the two. And he's a great agent. You know, he comes from this lineage of, you know, gr a great detective, a great secret agent. And, uh, how cool is that idea? That, you know, we, we have these characters from the Saxon novels and Fu Manchu and Petrie and, you know, uh, Sir Dennis Nayland 
and Blackjack, and then we're getting references from other novels as, you know, someone's potential father and grandfather or great uncle or whatever. Cool. And I thought that was really cool, and it really makes me love the character even more. Um, obviously, issue 29, The Crystal Connection, is very important. It is the first appearance of Razor Fist, a.k.a. William Young. Now, um, if you want to say, oh, it's Razor Fist from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, we don't know this shit. Uh, I'm going to take it that's a completely different character. Uh, outside of a bladed arm, there's no similarities to these characters whatsoever. So, uh... What's interesting is he appears in the covers for issues 29 and issue 30 with two completely different costumes. And um, what, what the catch is, is neither one of those depict the one he wears within the comic books themselves. It's a very bondage, SMM, colored in black leather, you know. I mean, he, he looks like he's you know, a product of, like, you know, 80s. No film? I mean, I don't know. I, I think the movie 8mm when I see him. But, um, yeah, it's his first appearance. Obviously, we know that was hot in 2021. And the thing is, we don't even know if it's the same character in the movie. And I'm going to assume that it's not, just by, you know, how they are. But you know how the MCU likes to change stuff with the characters. Uh, they have a very intense battle, him and Shang-Chi. It reminds me uh, heavily of Lee versus Han from Enter the Dragon with the Maze of the Mirrors. But, you know, they just don't have that. There's all these statues and stuff around. Uh, Shang-Chi fights him defensively. He's flipping past Razor Fist to, you know, get off the bridge after fighting on with these hungry starved panthers and, uh, and brings him into the building. Now, he knows he can't block any attack from these large bladed weapons. So, uh, Shang-Chi uses a candle blarum, you know, one of these things that hang from the ceiling and whatnot, to... Or, I should say, that you stick candles on. And uh, he uses it to parry all the attacks. And, you know, because he needs some type of weapon. But uh, there's this part where Razor Fist manages to make an X, you know, like a cross, with his blades. And uh, he locks in on the object, forcing it down onto Shang-Chi so the candles burn him. Like I said, this fight is really intense. And uh, our hero, he manages to break free. And, uh... He catches a thrust of one of the blades. This is really cool. It's very, like, 70s martial arts movies. And uh, he catches it with his palms. And uh, where he is just inches from the wall. Like, he's going to get impaled if he doesn't stop this. And uh, he's baiting Shang-Chi there. So he can stab him. So um, he thrusts forward with the other arm. Forcing Shang-Chi to barely get off and dodge. While holding the, st the first blade still. And then with the second stuck in the wall, he goes back to the first blade, holds it in his palms, and very, you know, martial arts movie style, snaps it in two. And, it, you know, it's very, we've seen Shang-Chi do this with swords before. And then he kicks him away. And then Shang-Chi starts baiting Razor Fist to a nearby statue where he swings and he makes sure the blade gets wedged within the stone. And then he leaps up and he kicks Razor Fist in the back of the head making him crack his skull on the head of the statue, which KOs him. Now, uh, now later on, when they're going to have this rematch, it's very shocking to uh, see him die because he gives Shang-Chi such a hard, you know, fought battle and probably the hardest fight he's ever had since Johnny in the uh, Deadly Hands series. 
So, um, but yeah, it's, it helps really feed into the villainy, the villainy, excuse me, of Velcro as, you know, this diabolical man who cares about nothing but world domination. And it's kind of sad to, you know, see him go. Uh, now, the other assassin, uh, Pavane, uh, leaves a lot to be desired, consider she is quickly dispatched after her very first appearance. Uh, so surely with Shang-Chi a spy, sparing your life and moving her to safety, she's guaranteed to return. Uh, that would make a lot of sense that now that we're seeing named characters, because I've complained about how we get all these characters in these books and they're never named. Now we have a named female, and with Shang-Chi's track record, uh, she's guaranteed she has to come back. It makes too much sense to. That's the only person he saves that has a name that's a bad guy. Uh, there's some other great moments in this, uh, the last issue, uh, as Shang-Chi and Reston and Black Jack Tar discover the weapons of mass destruction, uh, they begin to take out the guards. There's this awesome panel sequence where we see Shang-Chi leap up, like, leap down from this cliff, right, where this guard is lighting a cigar, and as soon as he does, the man sees Shang-Chi's reflection in his Zippo right before he gets drop kicked in the face. Really cool art. A uh, really cool way to depict action, you know, through the Zippo, the reflection. I thought that was really, really cool. I don't think I've ever seen that before in a comic. And uh, and then <laughs> there this time, it's kind of funny. While Shang-Chi's, you know, being, you know, this physical kick-ass martial artist, that uh, Reston and Black are just literally running over the rest of the guards with a tank. It's 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 very comical. Um, Now, the most important part of this whole thing is the storytelling with uh, Shang-Chi being at odds with Sir Dennis Nayland Smith over the approach to this mission. Because as we know that Shang-Chi wants to be a pacifist, he doesn't want to kill anybody. And, well, these guys are soldiers. Dennis, Blackjack Tar, Petrie, you know, Clive Reston, they're secret agents, they're soldiers. And uh, they kill. And uh, his inner conflict of pacifism versus violence, which is what they use, is uh, he's been turning his back on his father and sightings with his enemies. This is also eating at him. So right out of the gate, you can feel Shang-Chi's reluctance in the very first issue about even meeting with Smith. Like, this has really been building up with him. And when the mission and its stakes are being laid out and resting quips to Shang-Chi that he's a good man and that once he's inside Velcro's estate, he will need a good man more than good luck to push the envelope even further on what they need despite Shang-Chi just taking his stance against violence. So, I mean, you can tell that, in a way, that Dennis does not want to, you know, force Shang-Chi to do these things. He just knows that he has to. Because if it seems like he's not had any luck, and I've not read any of the, the you know, the Saks books that these characters are from, but it seems like the only time he has any look against Fu Manchu or anybody else is with Shang-Chi. And obviously, you know, he's a complete badass. So, um, but to drive the point home, after Petrie states how they have to operate outside of the law like the enemies do, Blackjack follows up by admitting we play just as dirty as the bad guys. So that right there just tells you everything I just said. You know, sums it up really good. Um, and this is all where Smith really comes at him with hard truth. Because uh, we know that Shang-Chi is at this crossroads that he has to choose. And to quote Smith, he says, playing pacifist until he's slapped in the face. Or he could take a direct road, striking the first blow 
and closing your eyes to the technicalities of justice in order to facilitate deeper justice. So that's kind of a punisher thing when you think about it. But um, and, and Smith is right. What they do isn't playing the hero like Spider-Man or Captain America. Him and his crew, as I just said, they're basically the Punisher. You know, they're basically Wolverine when he's not with the X-Men. And uh, Smith even offers him a position as a real agent because he realizes how much of an asset he is to his team. And when Shang-Chi goes to the rehabilitation center with him, you you feel like he knew no matter what he said, Shang-Chi wasn't going to accept any offer needed in that he has to basically guilt trip Shang-Chi into going on this mission. And basically he does that by, you know, showing him all these people who are addicts, you know, and they're basically being purged of heroin, you know, they're doing their 30 days in rehab. So, even after all this, and he accepts Smith's offer, uh, Shang-Chi in the book, and, and I've went over it everything, especially when I was kind of giving the overview of this book, is he does everything he can not to kill people. Even that he knows that the explosives would, like, set off the nukes, does not stop, and that's when he takes the boat, and he drives it over there, just so he knows just where to park it, so it'll explode and not set off the nukes. And, you know, and he's fighting all these guards despite Black Jack Tar and Reston using guns. Uh, Black even mentioned sending someone to get Velcro's men off the beach. And what's crazy about all this is Shang-Chi saves all the soldiers in Pervade by moving to the beach before launching a speeding full-blown boat full of high explosives to the compound. So, surely, there's not only unconscious guards there so it's kind of like oversight but we have these starved and hungry panthers that are going to die in this explosion anyways so there's no way he could have saved anybody so and uh on, on top of this shang chi must have completely forgotten that black jack tar and clive Riston quit firing guns and got to a tank why because of the nuclear weapons stored underneath the compound that they did not want to set off so, uh, so sure, you can say the explosion Shang-Chi set off collapsed and buried these WMDs, uh, since we see the rocks fall on Velcro's submarine, but striking a nuke in the right spot with a chunk of rock would surely set it off, right? So, I mean, that would, I mean, how would you not? I mean, I'm not a nuclear arms expert or anything, but I'm assuming with a ton of explosions and tons and tons of rocks falling on you know, missiles, nuclear warheads, they would they would go off. Now, as I wrap this episode up, I really want to touch on the last page of this book because the uh, comparison here is really off and really out there, and I, I just don't understand it. So um, I'm going to go read, you know, the uh, caption boxes and kind of give you an idea of what's going on in the panels. So uh, these first two panels, we see Shang-Chi climbing up the ladder after he's getting pulled out of the water. It says, it's over. Now the first result of my decision to leave passiveness for a, for a path of direct action. And now that it is over, there's time to reflect and to wonder if the result was worth the decision. The next panel, we see some of the addicts in recovery. I remember a drug clinic in New York and the faces there etched in the torment of heroin. The next panel, we see him continue to climb up the helicopter. 
Yes, to the spirit of those who might now avoid such a torment, it has been worth it. The next panel. I remember two pictures of a great city in Japan and a cloud which rose above it, which we see one of the nuclear blasts during World War II. And yes, to the flesh of those who might have been seared under similar clouds, it has also been worth it. Though the decision in its path still leaves much to be desired. So, stopping a a guy selling heroin, you know, is a, is a very bleak comparison to the nuclear weapons used to end, you know, the Japanese conflict during World War II. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird comparison to use, but I guess what they're trying to get at here, and I'll, I'll post this on Twitter, on, uh, the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu's, uh, Twitter page, is that what they're saying is, just what he did in this, it would, would lead, would prevent anything from happening like it did in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, you know, stopping heroin and these weapons of mass destruction would stop other people from suffering, you know, a worse or fate than heroin. So I guess maybe in his own mind, he's killing two birds with one stone. I just found it a really weird comparison. And the whole that fact that he's stopping nuclear weapons from going off and destroying, you know, two cities in Japan in a way that just kind of really hit me when I was rereading this. But it's just a really strange comparison, you know, heroin to nuclear weapons in the devastation they cause completely two different things like i said maybe i just kind of figured that out just by going it over myself but we're going to go ahead we're going to wrap this episode up i'm jvd you can follow me on twitter at villains demand uh if you like what you're hearing here on deadly podcast of kung fu you can go over twitter and follow us at deadly kung fu pod you can also follow our main page over at the Villains Man Podcasting Network at TVD Pods. You can also find the Villains Man on Facebook and Instagram if you want to check us out. Follow us over there. But uh, if you like our music, check out Russian Tiger by Kuro over at SoundCloud. I'm sure he would really, really appreciate that. But any of the guys, remember, support your favorite podcast. Support your local comic book shops and keep reading comics, guys. Oh!